This is the Picard Podcast on TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about Episode 2 of Star Trek Picard, Penance. Welcome back, fellow Trekkies, to our second episode of the second season of Star Trek Picard, entitled Penance. Yes, I am one of your hosts, John. I'm one of your other hosts, Derek. And rounding out this trio, boldly going where no one has gone before, but <laughs> everyone has gone there a couple of times, I am Chris. It depends what going where means and what that or entails. When. Or, or when. when. Exactly. Or when. And ooh, exactly. Timey wimey is certainly on the cards in episode two, Penance. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. What are we thinking so far for this? Oh, God, I'm going to spoil my thoughts. I love this episode. This is excellent. This is exactly what I wanted. Yeah. Um, a really quick explanation for the big cliffhanger that we had at the end of last week as to where picard is or when he is or what's going on so uh really like that that's a, that's yes, a great kickoff to the definitely and i do think we got an answer to our musings and our questions last week about whether this was the mirror universe but i think that it's quite clear here it is um the same reality mm. but it is with a disruption there from or by the hands of q uh, and so it is a disrupted reality of their timeline well let's not go too far into that because that may be one of our points well let's hope not <laughs> we yes. go into the indeed episode. but let's Chris, what about yourself what do you think overall overall the the episode itself is fantastic i am going to save my thoughts because unfortunately i'm like oh that that we're doing <laughs> that story because to say that within star trek we must go back in time to save the future has been done a few to be, across sci-fi. It has been done a few times. It's a big start there thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But fellow Trekkies and Trekkers, if you haven't listened to the podcast or if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, uh, you can subscribe to the podcast over on tvpodcastindustries.com uh, or you can find us on any good or villainous podcast catcher by looking for TV Podcast Industries. Yes, but on Chris's big downer, let us get into our spoiler fills <laughs> review. Yes, Derek, what are some of the episode details for this Episode 2 of Star Trek Picard. Lots of writers on this one, and I think there's a reason for that. I'm sure we'll get into that in the points. <laughs> the teleplay for this episode was written by Akiva Goldsman and Terry Metalis, along with Christopher Monfett. Uh, Akiva and Terry wrote uh, episode 1, and uh, Christopher Monfett, this is his first episode of Star Trek Picard. Um, he has written episodes of 911 and 12 Monkeys, the TV show as well, which are both bi- very big shows. Uh, the story itself was written by Akiva Goldsman, Terry Metalis, uh, Christopher Monfett, and showrunner, or one of the four showrunners, Michael Shabon as well. The episode was directed by Doug Arniakoski, who directed episode one. Uh, we spoke about the other credits that he had uh, in the past before then. But John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for Star Trek Picard, season two, episode two, Penance? Sure. 
Having been jumped by the NCQ to an alternate timeline, the highly decorated General Picard of the Confederation must prepare for Eradication Day, while he tries to understand his new predicament and get answers on the whereabouts of the rest of his team. At the Confederation's headquarters, confronted with the last Borg Queen who is to be eradicated, the President of the Confederation's Seven of Nine, along with Picard, Elnor, Raffi, Rios and Dr. Jurati, realise they must save the Borg Queen so they can go back in time to correct the nightmare of humanity's disrupted reality. Mm, uneasy alliances and time travel. That sounds like Star Trek to me. It certainly yep. does. <laughs> Excellent. If you didn't hear our episode one podcast, I'll quickly run through how we uh, talk about our Star Trek episodes. In the Federation, Star Trek is made up of directives and general orders. In our card podcast, we're going to choose three top moments. Our biggest moment is our prime directive. Medium moment is our omega directive. And our other moment to discuss is a general order. We start off with our general order each week. I guess if we were in the Confederation, our points would be kill Kill them, kill them, <laughs> kill them, I guess. Yes, eradicate. Kill them oh, eradicate, all. yes. <laughs> Exterminate. No, sorry, that's Doctor Who. That's yes. Doctor Who, uh, exactly. Let, let's not cross our streams. <laughs> that's Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> but with that, let's get on to our general order, our minor point from the episode. Make it so, number one. Derek, do you want to kick us off? I can, absolutely. I just wanted to make reference because you kind of mentioned it there. We talked uh, on last week's episode about whether this is a mirror universe or whether this is a a, a, ch- a changed world, effectively. So uh, very clear here um, that the mirror universe in Star Trek is a universe which is exact, exactly opposite to the universe that we spend most of our time in. In here, it's very clear from Q that this is a changed universe. There's one po- point in time that's been changed and has led to the universe that we yes. have right now. So uh, so this is much more along a pretty standard concept of like what if in the Marvel universe. It's, it's along that concept rather than the Mirror Universe. In fact, in all the Mirror Universe episodes, they don't go there to change it back to their world. They go there, try to survive so they can get back to their universe. So uh, quite a big difference in, in the sci-fi concepts there. Uh, but we do get a reference from Q uh, to a number of, of Mirror Universe episodes. He initially says to Picard, Oh, that's so very yesterday's enterprise of you, of you, Jean-Luc. Uh, and then he also references, um, through a mirror darkly, yes. which is also a mirror universe episode from the Enterprise show from Star Trek Enterprise. So, uh, so that, that's quite interesting that he's referencing the mirror universe episodes, even though this isn't a mirror universe. I just thought that was, that was quite fun. Uh, to well, he's actually movie. just actually a fan of Star Trek. So he actually is in another universe just watching the episodes <laughs> and just like, he's such a Trekkie. He's just quoting mm-hmm. the episode titles entirely possible entirely possible remember every possibility exists in the multiverse chris so it's uh, entirely possible that, that q could be a a trekkie or a trekker in one of his universes well that's it and it, <laughs> it is definitely it's not the mirror universe as q says it's the same day same time mm-hmm. different harvest exactly. it is that this is the jean-luc picard or general picard that uh, would have been born out of this change uh, in the direction of humanity at some yeah. point in the past. Yeah. Yeah. So um, everything we see here is what Picard would have done in this universe. It's not, even though it is totally against uh, Picard's morals, uh, you know, in terms of the alien slaves mm-hmm. and, and 
everything to do uh, with his personality and his principles. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's definitely a disrupted timeline. Yeah, so so I guess we may get into it throughout the season uh, as it goes on as to whether Picard is the way he is because of nature or nurture, I guess. So you would guess from what's happened here that Picard is the way he is because of nurture, because he's growing up in this universe the way it is. Yeah. So he's become this completely different person than he is in our regular star trek universe definitely and of course yeah and the the episode's penance and we hear q saying about atonement and it's forgiveness for what ultimately so i mean this 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 point in time that has changed the reality that they live in um it'll be interesting to Mm. get to that i guess nexus point to borrow from another world (laughs) another property well also from uh, from Star Trek, because uh, there is the Nexus in Star Trek as well. That is um, true. One other thing from Q as well, um, he does mention this isn't a test. Uh, we talked about it last week that, that Q normally is is testing Picard and testing humanity. This time he's saying this is not a test. This is this is not a lesson. This is penance for what you've done effectively. So uh, so a very different uh, kind of attitude from, from Q here. Uh, one final point from me on, on this, one final little note on this from the Mirror Universe piece. I didn't realize until today I've seen so many Star Trek shows lots going on at the same time but I didn't realize until today that there was never a Mirror Universe episode of The Next Generation there's been loads of comics which is what I've seen versions of the characters in the Mirror Universe from Star Trek Next Generation but all of the Mirror Universe episodes were in DS9, were in uh, Discovery, were in the original Star Trek, were in uh, Enterprise. I don't even think Voyager had any uh, Mirror Universe episodes, but I just think it's, it was it was really surprising to me because I always thought there was at least one Mirror Universe episode in in each of the shows. So uh, so interesting. There you go. Um, Chris, do you want to take us on with your uh, minor point, your general order? Yeah, I'll just jump in. It's also on Q and just the question mark of is Q sick? Is uh, so Picard starts this question to a degree mm. later on in the episode. He kind of, and it, I actually would mirror that exact same thought in that some of the um explanation that we got from Q at the beginning, I was struggling to follow. It was ve- it was more Q ish than standard Q. Okay. Like the penance aspect. I, I didn't understand that. I still thought, okay, it's a test, but they, they failed part one of the test already, whatever that was. And this mm. is your, this is your essentially your, um, detention homework while you till your next test or kind of like the, 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 the kind of the repercussions to, while we continue testing. Okay. Q seems off. Q does seem. And again, this is a fantastic part of this character is he was always Shakespearean, Mm -hmm. and he plays off that Earl Grey English uh, Picard, (laughs) i.e. this kind of distinguished gentleman approach. Uh So then you have this Macbethian Shakespearean uh, foil to the the, the character that is Picard. Well, I found. Like, it's always just been kind of, to a degree, over the top. The Judge episode, where he's literally dressed in massive judge robes mm-hmm. and like presiding over a court. Yeah. He seems short, angered, direct, and that didn't see kind of in initially it just was also jumbled. So I'm now going, okay, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. This is why, what is happening here? Is Q 
dying and he's like, do you know what? I've tested you enough and now you, you still failed and this is your penance. But yeah. Yeah. it's that question mark is still. So I just, it was something I'm like, okay, well, what? It's, it, it, it raises more questions. And then when Picard kind of mentioned that Q is off, he, he felt different or sick. Yeah. yeah. That was, I was like, interesting. Okay. So it was, it was, it was supposed to be like that. Yeah. Like it, it, it feels very much that the, you know, this will be as much about Q as it will be about Picard yeah. in yeah. terms of this. Um, it's not, I know it's not a test as such, but this situation yeah. and why it's uh, being undertaken. And again, it will come back to that nexus point, really, yeah. or that change point. Because there, there always has been something about Q that he's, he can be seen as very childlike. He seems to just pop into a situation and play a game with Picard, putting everybody's lives on the line is effectively what seems to happen. And I, I love the interaction between these two actors. Yeah. We have Jean-Luc saying to Q, I've had enough of your bullshit. And then he gets slapped across the face from, from, uh, from Q and, um, Picard's going just cut to the chase. And there's a fantastically delivered line from John Delancey where he's going, the chase is cut, bleeding, dying in your arms. And I'm but a suture in this world. Um, I'm just here to stem the flow effectively. That's, that's it. So he's not, he's telling him it's not a test. He's telling him it's not uh, a situation that, Q is putting them in. This is a real situation and he can't stop it. He's not there to stop it and he's not there to test Picard. So very different situation that we've, than we've seen before with Q. So uh, really interesting, really exciting to see where that's going to go in the future. Yeah, definitely. And John Delancey really does chew the scenery. Oh, so he good. does. It's, and it, but in such a magnificent way. Mm. Yeah. Because when he slaps him, that's like, I was like, <gasps> not, yeah, not you're Patrick kind of like, Stewart. like Sir Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Sarah Patrick may not like survive that slap. Yeah. Well, good um, job it wasn't with an armor-plated glove. Right. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was definitely different. Yeah, but you're right. It, 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 the kind of scenery chewing that John Delancey does is that he works really well with the other actor in his scene. A yes. lot of times with scenery chewing, you've seen it with Jack Nicholson and Batman is probably the best example of that. He walks on screen and nobody can survive those scenes <laughs> it's like you're just focused on that actor in that scene yeah. whereas with john delancey he is also um allowing patrick stewart to have big moments in those scenes but he's great to watch really really enjoyed it yeah but that was my minor point uh-huh. uh mr harrison over to you what is your minor point for this episode it's in the same part of the episode um, and mm. i have to say just that opening part between these two uh actors uh in chateau picard before the opening credits i just absolutely loved Mm -hmm. um it it was so exciting just brilliant uh but mine's just uh general picard's trophies you know here um general picard is ruthless he is a conqueror throughout the galaxy and he has very much blood on his hands and we see this with the trophies you know initially it's that he has alien slaves working in the kitchens. Again, flashing back to, I guess, a a different time of Confederation. And then we see all the different weaponries that he's taken from his conquests. We Mm -hmm. see the Shakvak blades. We see all the different disruptors as well. But then when we move into the study, we see this gruesome display of different alien species and um, that their skulls and mm. um, on stands and you know 
the trophies of his conquests, like um, uh, the hunters on the savannah with the animal heads yeah. mounted to the wall. Um, this is absolutely the anathema of um, of what Captain Picard would do. Yeah, um, yeah. We see not only alien species, I'm sure there's a human skull in there, as mm-hmm. well as the human skull that has the Borg implant. I was wondering whether that might be Huey uh, in some way, mm-hmm. uh, which would be really, really um, fairly sick of, of General Picard mm-hmm. to do that. Um, but, but it's uh, entirely possible, because he, he would have had... Um, a really quick connection with Hugh. He would have seen Hugh, I suppose, uh, at some point in his experience. Like, you know, I know you're going to talk about the rest of the heads, but they are all very important moments in the history yeah. of Star Trek, these these heads that are there. So Hugh, Hugh of Borg would be a very important Borg. Um, so yes. entirely possible that that's who was taken. And in. who is the human head mm. or human skull that is there? Is it Riker? It could well be. Or did Will... Uh, possibly um, give too much guff to uh, <laughs> yeah. to Colonel Picard at it, some point. It could be. <gasps> oh, um, Diana Troy. She's not Look, really. She's not a human. No, she's no. Not. she a... looks human. Well, that's true. <laughs> so it could be an alien species. It might not be totally human. Who knows? It could just be very similar. But we have um, General Martok, a Klingon. Yeah. And there is uh, Galdikos, um, mm-hmm. one, of, one of the Cardassians. But I guess most importantly, there is Sarek, um, the Vulcan, uh, Spock's father. Yes. Who he, you know, kills on the steps of the big Vulcan Science Academy. And mm-hmm. um, so, in again. In front of his wife, Amanda, and his son, Spock, yeah. is, what he, is what Picard is told. So, so like, this yeah. is all fairly um, just gruesome. gruesome. Yes, exactly. Well, absolutely. And I suppose to the character of Picard, he is a character known for his diplomacy. That's That's been central to his character. That's why he's so different from Kirk of, of original Star Trek. He's the person that goes in and talks and sorts out the issues. It may take a much longer time, but the issue is resolved. With someone like Goldicat, who was central to the Bajoran War, which is the fundamental basis of Deep Space Nine, Goldicat was the leader of the Kardashians for that whole period, that seven-year period that that show ran and that and that battle raged on. So did Picard just go, screw this diplomacy and and, yeah. and take Goldicat's head? And that's the end of the war. So his his um, diplomacy yeah. is at the end of a phaser, and, and yeah. you know the barrel of a phaser. If phasers indeed have a barrel, um, I guess not. Yeah. But but even with these, you know, as they're moving through uh, the Chateau Picard, mm. we have uh, nods to um, both Laris and Chabon that have been killed in the Romulan uprising. Um, uh, outside of the gates of Romulus, uh, yeah. they were part of the resistance. A complete flip on their origin story that we saw last season of how they came to work with Picard and how yeah. and how he he rescued exactly. them effectively um, before they were killed. So yeah. yeah, and finally, I guess for my point, it's that instead of the Enterprise, it is the CSS World Razor. Mm. So uh, a very uh, different uh, name and intonation to what that uh, that spaceship does yes. ultimately. Sounds quite like uh, the Death Star, the World Razor, doesn't it? Sound it does like a bit, doesn't it? Destroy planets with this uh, with the ship. Yeah, I thought this was so interesting. This idea of what of what Picard would be in this universe. How many? I guess how many major conflict conflicts he would have avoided, but the whole point of the Federation in in our current version of Star Trek is that they bring in other communities, bring in other worlds together. And here with Picard, you hear his speech saying, 
a safe galaxy is a human galaxy. And effectively, he's taken out General Bartok, who was the leader of the Klingons. He's taken out the leader of the Kardashians. He's taken out the leader of the Vulcans. Um, the Romulans, where Uprising was destroyed. So effectively, under the boot of, the, of Picard, the human confederation has taken out all of their major enemies and are about to take out the Borg. So, yeah, really interesting. Although they are still fighting uh, a front in Vulcan. Uh, we do see that mm. with Rios. So, yes. and there is resistance on Earth as well. We get mention of that in yeah. Okinawa. So yeah. it's not all plain sailing for the Confederation. Uh, they have their, you know, they have their resist, the resistance cells against them yeah. and their enemies given what, what they've done. So, exactly. uh, yeah, I just thought really good. And just overall, that first bit was just phenomenal. Loved yeah. it. Excellent. I do I do think this is the one where I wish we had X-Ray. Um, even though it is a Paramount Plus, so we won't get it. We'll just it's only just on Prime Video over here. Mm-hmm. Um but this is the one where I was like, you'd want the trivia. Like we're in the scene because yeah. I don't think they'll do that. Well, maybe they will with this season, but last season we didn't get m- much behind the scenes um activities or kind of behind the scenes social media but you'd want a tour or like a two minute three minute video of just like for those of you who are wondering this is this yeah and we spent we spent a lot of time we decided like the the picture of the world razor the mm-hmm. the the painting i'm pretty sure there is a like little easter eggs in each of those ships that it was firing on yeah so it's that kind of like and now we just have to wait for some um, basically well-meaning Trekkies to do like a den of geek on it and kind of go through. Well, I'll give you some great news, Chris. Once again, <laughs> Will Wheaton is coming back with his uh, with his um, after show, his Star Trek after show that comes out the day after that it's released on Prime Video and, and Paramount Plus, uh, where he interviews the cast and has some background on uh, on each of the episodes. So um, that's where you're going to get your background. I hope, I hope there's a walk through that set. Um, yeah. Because you're absolutely right. That wall of weapons um, is so interesting. I'd love to see what each one of those yeah. are. And also, just that, that one thing that is also a reference to Picard's ready room. Um, he always had some statues in his ready room of, of of memories from the past of the ships that he served on that kind of stuff um i think there was some uh, if i remember right there was some uh, klingon weaponry in that room that he was given by the klingons but here he's turned that into his trophy room so uh, as another little tie back i suppose to uh, the fact that picard does collect trophies uh, kind of like dexter in this case though yes uh, okay let's <laughs> let us move on to our medium moment or our omega directive Implement the Omega Directive immediately. Chris, uh, what is your Omega Directive? Yeah, uh, it's a very pretty kind of simple one for me. It's um, President Annika of the Confederation. Mm. Um, uh, So, seven, essentially. Um, I love this, this kind of, this moment where she wakes up and she's like, what's going on? And then she very much methodically, like a computer... Runs through a test. Love it. Cognitive cognitive test. Like, am I awake? Okay, what's here? Pain receptors. Nope, this is real. Like, as you would if if a machinery was broken, you run a quick test. Diagnostics. It's it's her boot up diagnostics. Yeah, exactly. And I thought it was just absolutely hilarious. Finding it then that she is, um, her parents never left the planet. So um, she became the president of the Confederation. Mm-hmm. And um, additionally, she um, is married. Yes. Uh, which is different as well. 
So you're just kind of all these little differences. You're like, interesting. They made some very interesting choices. And it's called out later. Yeah. Which I thought was hilarious. Your husband? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love Rafi's reaction to to the whole the whole situation, in fact, is hilarious. You know, she's told that, that Alica's president and she's like, Oh, she's gonna wear that one well, isn't <laughs> yeah, she? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and as she walks in, yes, you're married to him. Um, yeah also him is the a fun part as well it's like this tiny short man Mm -hmm. you're like interesting they think why why (laughs) that yeah literally i'm assuming it's for that diabolical smile at the end of the episode (laughs) he was just chosen for his sneer yeah possibly um, at the end because otherwise i was like i don't get it Jerry Ryan, you could have got someone slightly taller, just slightly, just like on par, not saying above, just on par. This guy is like, she is looking down on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to say, though, I think Michelle Hurd's delivery when she is informed that Seven of Nine is married, where she goes, say what now? And it's complete. <laughs> it's completely off screen. Yeah, yeah and, exactly. And it's just coming in and it is just... The, the best reaction, uh, in this episode yep. really, really enjoyed that. Yeah. It's yeah. fantastic. Um, and yes, you're right. There's no, there's no moment that she's been Borg, uh, before. So, um, yeah. so that the reaction from Annika when she's looking in the mirror going, okay, I don't have those implants. Um, again, she was taken very young, uh, into the Borg. She was, she was captured as a, as a child and has spent all of her life as a Borg up until the point she was saved by Captain Janeway. So, um, it is it is kind of interesting that she's going through those processes that she would go through every single morning for the previous uh, 20 or 30 years at this stage you know so yeah. uh, so really really like that uh, about her but um but yes it's kind of odd coming into episodes like this where it's almost the quantum leap situation you guys remember quantum leap starring yes. uh, Scott Bakula who was which is being uh, which is being um, rebooted by the way uh yes yeah apparently yeah. we'll see we'll see can't yes, uh, exactly. can't correct that but um but you remember quantum leap the whole concept of it is the characters jump into a situation and have to find out who they are so you actually don't get any context of who they were before the character jumps in until it gets told to you so same situation here uh, in this world you have Annika in the body of the president um, of this of this world, but you don't know what kind of president she was in the past. I guess pretty brutal, um, but it is interesting trying to see her um, fill the shoes and trying to get that aggression uh, that she thinks or guesses that the president would have, especially with her husband. Uh, I thought that was quite fun, where she's where she does that great moment with him, where she goes, "No, you tell me why today is important, and I'll decide <laughs> whether you live or die." <laughs> it's like what a brilliant uh, way to do it. That's great. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so that's very much my point for the for medium point, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, Johners, let's move over to your point for this. Yeah, I think my medium moment is um, similar to yours. It's just seeing the reintroduction of Colonel Rios because whatever about waking up in bed and slowly <laughs> going through the diagnostic process um, of whether they're sentient, they can feel, they can smell, they can taste... Colonel Rios is chucked into the middle of a, a a battle in space around Vulcan. And here we see that there is still Vulcan resistance. He's on the Vulcan front and he's having mm-hmm. to process this whilst being fired at. <laughs> um, and I just really kind of enjoyed this. We get the, you know, just first of all, few explosions. I always like that when you have a space battle. Um, it is 
the that he is the leader here in i guess the css serena i suspect it's not serena mm. um but it's probably something much more he uh, is colonel rios yeah exactly yeah. much more aggressive he's colonel rios he's put the strategy in place to deal with the vulcans and um, the resistance and his victory is a bait and switch now we don't get any more than that but he's using his his the same kind of strategies as we saw in um season one on on his base and switch approach to mm. uh tactical uh warcraft so really like this i like the interaction with seven of nine as she asks for a private secure line to him mm. and just that figuring out um through very sort of disguised speech about is it you rios yeah. uh, is it you <laughs> seven I, I like that moment you know the the subterfuge of it and um ultimately recalled back to earth um so that um he can sort of join the others at least initially but ultimately is there to try and take them off earth um as we see later on yeah. but uh mm. it was just i i like that I thought it was like a real dynamic, all the yeah. Vulcan uh, and the Confederation ships firing away. Uh, and again, even just him dealing with one of his, I, I guess, um, sub-commanders, he kind of went through it quite well, even though he was still trying to process where he was. Yep. So uh, I really like this uh, introduction of Colonel Rios Absolutely. in this um, this new reality effectively yeah, he, he, he does something similar to what annika did as well didn't he he, he says to the to, to the sub commander um, what was my plan <laughs> she's like oh you, you you distract them and then we'll send wave after wave to kill all of the vulcans yeah. kind of thing um so it does feel like the vulcans are a resistance here uh, as well it doesn't feel like vulcans as powerful as we would see in the federation probably because of what the confederation have done uh, have done to them as well it yeah which is like take out enemies. their power which is the science academy exactly. it's the logical and um, grounded center of knowledge and rational rationale um i guess yeah yeah absolutely so um so it, it's, it's interesting seeing that battle and again vulcans were the first to make contact with humans so they're the closest in uh, alien species to humans whereas here they're on opposite sides on a war so uh, that's quite that's that's another great change for this world so yeah. what the heck happened in 2024 to cause this change that has completely changed what the federation is it'd be really interesting to find that out yeah. uh, in the future covid 24 <laughs> well, absolutely. Do you know I did that weird thing? I know, I know, I know. We'll talk about that bit a little bit later. But I did that weird thing when I watched the episode because in uh, in Star Trek in general, when they go back to the past, they they pick out a date and they go, um, "This is the thing that needs to be changed to be fixed." Or in loads of shows and and movies and hmm. stuff. And I went, and they went, "We're going back to 2024." And I was like, "What happened in 2024 that could have caused this?" I was like, oh no, that's in two years' time. So uh, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know what happened. It's, in well, there's it's certainly the old. U.S. presidential elections uh, could be. in 2024. <laughs> so uh, it could be because um, are they going to make a know? big a big statement about what might happen in the it next really presidential would. elections? Oh, is that, is that you imagine do? they do that? Uh, well, you know, they well, they yeah. are they are have always been quite a politically charged show. So, um, but not usually as on the nose as uh, as specifically calling that out. So, um, you know, they don't put politics in sci-fi. Never. <laughs> <laughs> there's no there's no such thing no not at all not no at all. no there's no commentary on slavery or race <laughs> or equity yeah. never take your politics out of my shows <laughs> um, yeah, yeah yeah never happened never happened <laughs> um 
but yeah, it's it's interesting that they that that Rios is recalled to to Earth and is sitting there waiting to extract the team. I like that. I like that he has full control of the ship, even though he's in another universe. He knows how to use it instantly. I thought yes. that was a nice little joke from him, where he's like, ah, whew, I guess some things are still the same. Yeah, <laughs> so a, a good one, good one there. Um, my medium moment for the episode again, another one of the characters that have that have been uh, been brought across uh, by Q into this universe, Doctor Gerati. I just really like Doctor Gerati this season. I like her her difference to season one. In season one, she had this real mission. She had um, had been betrayed by her boyfriend um, who'd gone out into the galaxy, and she was on a mission to help everybody because she was the only one that knew everything. Now she seems really lost, and I like that they they're referencing that from the moment she's on screen here where uh, she goes, oh, okay, Annika, you came over into this galaxy and became president. I'm pretty much the same, just slightly better at developing uh, compa- uh, computer companions for myself. <laughs> That's it. That I'm exactly the same. I'm lost. I'm lonely. I have nobody else to depend on. Um, I thought that was a, uh, that was a great joke. Also an excellent gag where, um, where Annika, um, tries to do the same thing she did, but Rios tries to be really covert about the fact that there's a connection between the two of them. And she goes, um, Gerati, you were, the last time I saw you, you were gazing at the stars. And she goes, oh yes, aboard the stargazer. I mean, I'm a stargazer. <laughs> so, uh, completely losing the, uh, losing the thread of, uh, of trying to be surreptitious about this. And then, uh, calls her seven and comes up with a great nickname for, uh, for Annika, seven which shots. is a- Annika Seven Shots. Yeah. Hudson. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I, I do love how we get, uh, Patton Oswalt. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, once again, Patton Oswalt, actually the only one of the main sci-fi kind of people that is across every major sci-fi Absolutely. universe and yeah. franchise. He has done it all. He's in DC. He's in Marvel. Yeah. He's in Star Trek. Apparently, he's been in Star Wars as one of the within one of the newer shows. Mm. Like you name it, this man is in the franchise. I feel like and he I- spent the last two and a half years of the pandemic sitting in his uh, in his wardrobe in his bedroom recording voiceovers for every single yeah. show out there. It feels like he turned everything on and he's he's doing a voiceover. He even got the entire series of uh, first season of Modoc where he started as Modoc. So uh, for Marvel, so he's had uh, had quite a lot of voice work over the last uh, oh, last yeah. couple of years. But, uh, but no, no. always fun to hear his voice in there. Yes, yeah. absolutely loved it. Um, I do one thing. I just quickly note on this with Gerati, which is, I think we were right. There is no Soji. Like mm-hmm. Soji was not on the Stargazer. Yeah. Soji, she may be in the show, but I don't think she is a main character in this season. It, it is. A, um, it is really interesting to note. Remember the battle at the end of episode one. Multiple ships. Uh, in the area, um, we had Rafi and Eleanor on a completely different ship to all of these, uh, all of the rest of the characters. Um, but the crew that we have here is everyone from the La Serena. Um, yeah. all of Picard's closest people that are with him. There's no captain of, uh, of one of the other ships that's been brought back to this time. Um, so I know. That's really convenient for the TV show writers. I get that, but there has to be an actual reason as well why Q only took these six, seven people from yeah. uh, from Picard's time. There has to be a reason why he's surrounding just these people together. Of course, that's just the writing of the show. But uh, but there's there's probably a couple of thousand people that were at that battle and weren't taken over by Q. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, at the same time, Q in in that moment when Picard is asking, "What about?" the crew of the stargazer he mm-hmm. says isn't that quaint so yeah. q doesn't really care so 
I guess this, all those ships and, and the people aboard them are in this reality because it's the same reality. Yeah. Maybe. So it's just we're not going to focus on them. I think exactly. it, it's just that's the nature of it. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but technically, this isn't a this isn't a different universe. Mm-hmm. A di- yep. It's not a different timeline, a branch timeline. It is the timeline. It's just different because of a change in direction. Yeah. I also yeah. feel if there was anybody other than the main crew that's popped over here, they're probably a red shirt who's going to die in the next yeah. episode. So, and uh, I think the yeah. important other side of it is that we do see that there is a Dr. Alton uh, Sung um, as well in this world because yes. we see the big kind of light statue as you go into San Francisco mm-hmm. uh, to the Confederation headquarters. So mm-hmm. he is in this he is in this reality as well. Absolutely. And he also, is the creator of the synth. So yeah. it could be that we come across Soji um, at some point uh, through the, yeah. the next series of episodes. That's true. And uh, Alton Sung, you, you hear him say the same speech as Picard. You hear him say uh, a safe uh, galaxy is uh, as a human galaxy. And that's done by Brent Spiner as well. He played uh, he played the role of Alton Sung at the end of uh, yeah. of last season. So uh, yeah, entirely possible that Soji could be uh, the big bad somewhere else. Yeah. It could be another resistance element yeah. here, True. and True. because the synths here are in the same situation as the Romulan slaves in yeah. Chateau Picard, they are there to serve the the human masters mm. ultimately. And um, so poor poor Harvey the valet. Um, but, <laughs> Uh, at Chateau Picard. Well, absolutely. But, yeah. But I do like the way his eyes notes. light up as he sort of accesses the, the data logs. But yeah. anyway, that's just a little point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, okay. My media point was just, uh, just, just Jurati, uh, in the episode and her, her version of the character. Again, I, I like how she's being played this season. I like she's a bit more, a little, a little bit of comic relief as well. You know, the fact that she has the, a fight with Rios, yeah. uh, on the phone while trying to resolve their communications issue. I think it was quite, it was quite fun as well. Uh, Rios going, Oh, we're going to do this now. <laughs> <laughs> while there's uh, this this big moment going on and she's saying well you know i can't i can't hang up the phone on you basically in, in anger we might as well have this conversation now i love that when she's uh taking uh the board queen out of isolation she's going i guess i know how to do this i'll press this button here this button here this oh okay it works brilliant you know <laughs> but she's talking to herself the whole time as well so uh yeah i, I really like how she's being played uh, in this season so yeah. that's my omega director for uh for the episode Brilliant. Should we move on to our Prime Directive? Yes, let's. We must face the ramifications of the Prime Directive. Who wants to kick us off with their Prime Directive, the main point? I think I will, because I think it sets up for everyone else's, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is the the big element here. Uh, it, my big moment, my Prime Directive, is my enemy's enemy is my friend, mm-hmm. as Picard needs the Borg Queen um, mm-hmm. for... A bit of uh, timey-wimey stuff. Um, but certainly, I think what's really great about this is that there's that sympathy for the Borg. But she is about to be re- uh, eradicated, and she is the last of her kind. Um, and the necessity of Picard and the rest of the group in needing to... Um, change and correct this disruption because of how uh sort of nightmarish it is for them yeah. uh how authoritarian it is uh, and it, it 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 it's the conjunction of 
Picard being the one to um, administer the eradication on the very last Borg, one of humanity's greatest enemies, mm -hmm. but then needing the Borg Queen because of her connection with temporal and spatial, um, I guess, mechanics so that they can ultimately use her to to go back to the past and to correct and i, I really like this because there's an element of oh no this is the last borg queen don't get rid of the borg um <laughs> because they're great and uh, yeah. you know they're they're always the great foil um for the federation but we're not there and so even though they need them you still don't trust her. I mean, the Absolutely. the act of playing the Borg Queen is just really good. You mm -hmm. know, just the eyes moving. It's like you're saying, she she calls out Jurati not really being very different from uh, her counterparts. Yes. And, yeah. Which was really interesting. Absolutely. And a big point about the Borg Queen here. So she's not the Borg Queen that we saw in the first episode. This is the Borg Queen of this universe, yes. but she has got a connection to all Borg Queens within the vicinity is the way that I think Jurati describes it. So effectively, because this timeline has only had one change in it and has now become a different timeline, it's very closely associated with our universe or the regular universe that we were in for the, for the first episode of Star Trek. So she has a connection to the Borg Queen that was aboard um, the star, the stargazer in episode one. So, um, but she's not the same character. She hasn't been through that universe, but she has got the connection to her. So, uh, so I, I think that was, that's quite an interesting touch. Yeah. Yeah. They can, through temporal anomaly or temporal space, they can feel and understand that mm. there is other Borg Queens and mm. other. Yeah. It was interesting to say that it yeah. makes, it, it does kind of make those likely OP, but. In this case, not really, because she's the last boy. Yes. Yeah. I, I do like as well, um, you know, in trying to decide what they can do to rectify this situation to, um, you know, as Picard mentions about Q when they're all down in Jurati's lab um, and they ask, I think it's Rafi says, how do we get Mr. Alphabet to change time? And it <laughs> is, you know, their only option is to enlist the Borg Queen uh -huh. to, to do her thang um, so that, uh, you know, they can go back I in time. I do like the reference that at the Enterprise under Captain Kirk did this a bunch of times, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I, re yeah. I really like that kind of nod um, because, you know, I think as you mentioned off the bat, Chris, you know, time travel in, in Star Trek is a big thing. Yep. It's used quite widely. There's, it's not seen as a big event in some respects, yeah. I think. Um, it, it feels much more embedded as something that you can do through wormholes and, and so on and so forth. But I, I think it's, it's really interesting that this is, um, you know, the 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 quick fix because um it, it's not about sort of bolstering the resistance or trying to provide a counterpoint to the confederation it's like we need to go back to the point identified by the Borg queen uh which is in 2024 on earth in los angeles and that there is someone there to help uh, someone known as the watcher mm -hmm. so the, the, I, I just really liked all of this interaction because at the heart of it there is that tension of it being borg and i think that's the great thing about this race and um, is there's an inherent tension because of how 
um, focused how uncompromising they are as a species yeah. and, and the threat that they can provide, and yet they need her help. And yeah. the, and also then just that race against time as they're trying to get the tra uh, transporters to work so they can transport to uh, Rios's ship. Um, it is is just really good. I like how Picard is you know riling up the crowd, and then he's like. Come on, I, I need to transport, yeah. and it's like then the crowd are like, "What's going on here?" Yeah, you know, I, I hey. thought that was, okay. When like yeah. pull the trigger, it's like that really sad fading rock star who wants <laughs> exactly. the applause before they play the first note of their of their song because <laughs> they only have one song to play. You know, uh, it's it's like that. Um, and it was a really interesting touch of the writing. You mentioned that there's a little bit of sympathy for the board queen being the last of her race, but it's also written into it here that. Annika has a massive problem with the board queen here. She's looking at her going, how does it feel? I know how it feels because that's what happened to me. That's what you did to me when yeah. I was a child. You took everything I knew. And it's almost like she's slipping into that president role, the person that would have created Eradication Day for the Borg specifically because she yeah. doesn't want them to exist. Yeah. She doesn't want them to have existed when they did what they did to her, which yeah. I think was a, which was a good point. Exactly. And I think it's a great sequence. Uh, you know, it is that tension between mm. humanity and the Borg. It is also um, the, the, the suspension of this race against time to get out of the situation uh, that they're in and to prevent the eradication of the last Borg Queen. Yeah. I think the other side of it is... In terms of her connections, you know, she does recognize Picard as Lucutius uh, as well, she which does. is really good. I love it whenever they call that out to me that mm -hmm. it, they always should do that. So for me, that was like tick. And they, the Borg Queen also calls out Seven as the Seven of Nine tertiary adjunct to Unimatrix Zero One. That's right, her uh, full name. Which is her full name. And yeah. um, so thank goodness they abbreviated it to Seven of Nine because, <laughs> yeah. Well, I presume if she ever gets married to Rafi um, in, in the show, that will be what will be called out of the ceremony as her full name, right? I guess so. <laughs> Seven of nine. Will, will Raffi take zero one as her surname? <laughs> no, it has to be the full name. Oh, maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, no, but what's but the, you, what's you the, what's the, well, that's true. But I, I was just wondering, in terms of that long name, mm -hmm. which part of it is actually the forename and which part of it is the surname? Well, I guess if seven is the shortened name that her friends have for her, I guess that it would be uh, Raffi Unimatrix zero one, I guess. Yeah, I guess um, so. Or Raffi tertiary adjunct to uh to you know make sure one maybe that's it <laughs> we may find out in the, the next season if raffi's gonna put up with her uh, <laughs> uh to, to get married to her in the next season maybe maybe that's it but that's my big moment uh chris what is your prime directive yeah so for me it's really let's go back in time back to the future back to the past to save the future mm. it, it uh, i'm here for it this is something it's just this storyline has to be done well. Mm -hmm. This is it, we're on a razor's edge because this story has been told hundreds of times. I they've changed something in the past. The bad guys have changed something in the past, which has changed the present. So now we need to go back to the past to save the future. And I'm hoping it's different enough mm -hmm. because we have seen this, and this was I I. I slightly concerned when they started going down this route i'm like star trek 4 the motion picture for like the film mm -hmm. had this storyline where they 
in the 80s, they went back to the 80s to save the future. Like, we've seen this. It's It's been done. And, like, we're literally going to, told we're going into 2024. And I'm like, okay, good for budget. Because you don't need to change many sets because it's just outside. But it's two years away, Chris. It's not going back exactly. to 2019. It's going to a future that we don't know uh, at the moment True. as well. Uh, I suppose the reason why in Star Trek it feels like time travel is so big to the show is because, look, I'll say it. I'm a Star Trek fan. I can say this. Star Trek is a niche property. It's liked by people who like Star Trek and people know about it. But when it breaks out of that niche, when it makes tons of money and breaks it into the, the consciousness, I would say arguably the two biggest movies of Star Trek's entire film series are Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, where they have time travel, and Star Trek First Contact, where they travel back in time to change to change time before the Borg take over the planet, effectively, and before the Borg stop First Contact from happening. So the two big movies the big ones that have broken out are time travel movies whereas all the rest of them don't feature time travel so yeah. uh, there was time travel in the original star trek series uh, that's definitely the time when they used it to save budget when they uh, basically just walked off the sets and went out into 60s uh, 60s us <laughs> yeah. uh, so that they didn't have to um have a big budget episode but it is it, it does form definitely a part of a uh, part of star trek but i i'm a big fan of, of time travel you know hell we grew up in the 80s how many 80s movies had that as their premise exactly. you know with with back to the future and into uh, uh, into Bill and Ted uh, movies, you know, all of those movies have this idea yeah, of Terminator. going back in time. Uh, Terminator, absolutely. Into the 90s with Time Cop. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I love that mm. film. Okay. <laughs> wow, too. I like, even even more than I like that film for, for Time Cop as, as a surprise there. But but yes, it does form a big part of sci-fi is, is the idea of, uh, of time travel. So I... In that concept, I always love the concept of something happened on one night, which changed the future forever, which is very much the Back to the Future concept. Uh, That's the whole idea of that. Something happened on this night, you need to go back and fix it, and then make your way back to our time, and uh, and everything hopefully will be back back to to normal. So um, so yeah, so I'm I'm really excited about this. But but as I said, the reason why I think it's it feels more synonymous with Star Trek, who's explored so many different types of sci-fi as well over all the show that it's done. It feels more synonymous because the two big breakouts they've had in the, in uh, in movies have been about time travel. Yeah, and I'm not saying it, it it it's a potentially bad thing. I'm not hanging up the coat right now. Mm. You better not, Chris. We've got like eight more episodes to, to watch <laughs> and podcast about. <laughs> uh, and I, I suppose slight spoilers: mm. there is time travel elements in Star Trek Discovery. Yes, and that was done amazingly, like Very to the yeah. point where I was like, "This is fantastic." Mm. So there is huge scope. For this to be an amazing storyline. Yeah. There is also huge chasms where they can trip up. Yes, and just fall into the very trope. (laughs) No, I I, yeah, and I'm going to be hundred percent positive. Yeah. It was just and like I said, like I don't know, spoilers for when we do the wrap up. I enjoyed this episode. This Mm -hmm. episode was fantastic. The as a whole. I'm just very wary of we've seen this storyline. Across Star Trek and across other properties, mm-hmm. and I'm like, you run the you run a risk of. But there's only <sighs> so many storylines. Yeah. Okay. Yes, you could say as a writer, you everything boils down to <laughs> tragedy, comedy, yeah, exactly, uh, exactly, and time I, travel. Yes. 
Exactly, time travel. The one Shakespeare didn't get. Well, who knows? Oh, maybe maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe Macbeth or Othello <laughs> is actually time travel. <laughs> there, there's a great phrase that Helen O'Hara uses on the Empire podcast whenever they go down this path of we've seen a trailer, the movie could be crap. Um, she uses this great phrase, which is it's always Christmas Eve. So think about it like that, Chris. Tomorrow's yes. Christmas Day. We have an idea of where they're going with the show. And let's hope it's the best possible way that they can go with the show. How about that? Oh, no, sorry, again, I just, it's more, I am very, like I said, I'm here for this, yep. I'm here for this journey, I am just wary, and I think, no, not wary, that's not even right, it's just like, I was like, oh, okay, you're doing that, uh-huh. like, we've seen that, I think we've seen that, I could be wrong, exactly, and that's why I'm here, and I'm going to continue this journey into episode three, four, five, blah, 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 yep. it was just, I, when they... As they were saying this, I was like, oh, oh, okay, right. What's the difference? And I suppose that's the bit that I would have expected maybe in this part where it's, they would have announced a, it's like, hey, we're doing this. We've got to go back in time. But this is why it's different. Hmm. We, they just didn't get that diff, that difference. Like you can, like just that, that, that makes it unique i think the context that it makes it different is the q element and and it's to do as to why he's doing this yeah because you know again it is whether picard ultimately understands and recognizes what q is saying he has to some extent with saying you know that you're not well he's recognized that that there is something different but Mm -hmm. He is still talking about Q giving him tests, even in Jurati's lab. That's what he explains to the the rest of his crew about who Q is as an entity, and he sets his tests that to 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 complete um to to make sure that humanity is saved or or whatever. Whereas, as you say, in that opening part of the episode, Q is very much saying um. This is the same day and the same time, but mm-hmm. it is a different harvest because of one point. And um, mm-hmm. whether it is that, as I was saying before, whether it's Picard or someone related to Picard that has made that change, or it's a, a, a more um, detached change that happens. And then as a result, this is where we have, you know, ruthless General Picard doing his um his, his conquests and bloodshed across the galaxy. Yeah. But I think that's the different in context. And I think also it's just time travel is so embedded, I feel, in Star Trek because ultimately it is getting it from the concept of relativity. You know, mm. they do mm. ultimately try and use the recent science and what it's yeah. saying to inform them and this idea of of wormholes and um, being able to move you back through time um mm. you know that it is conceptually possible so it, it it's it's taking it forward and saying yes it is conceptually possible it's still very difficult to do and that's why we need to enlist someone like the Borg Queen yeah and that, that that's a reference to um, Star Trek 4 that's how they went back to the past where Spock calculated it so they go around the sun slingshot yeah. slingshots them so uh, again like the joke there where it's like they had Spock 
oh, but we have her, the poor queen. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. That that was cool. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. It was yeah. like, well, we, how how are we going? Well, well, the Enterprise did it back in the day, uh-huh. and they yeah. just did it. Like, I was like, that was cool. Like they pulled out and called out all these bits. Um, but look, I suppose that was just my bit, which is, oh, we've seen this. I wonder what how they're going to do yeah. it, and why it's but different anyway. is because effectively both of Picard's biggest nemeses um, in Q and the Borg Queen are now effectively kind of helping them, or at least involved, let's say. Yes. So Q may be the uh, the one that's showing them how it's all different and and punishing them, and the Borg Queen is helping them out. So uh, so it's quite interesting to have both of the, them involved in this time travel story. Good stuff, good stuff. Um, nice. For my prime directive, my, my big point uh, about the episode is just the other moment that we haven't talked about is just the arrival of Rafi and Elnor and, and their story within the episode, because I think there's quite a lot laid out uh, here in, in the show. Um I mentioned it a little bit in the first episode about their relationship now being much more mother and son, but you can definitely tell it here. I love, oh, yeah. I love yeah. Elnor. He has such a good relationship with, with Rafi. I love it's very he's, cute. It's really cute where he's kind of calling out. That's a, that's a really good tactical, uh, a tactical concept they have there, Rafi. He's like, thank you. I have a great idea. Um, but there is an interesting story going on. You sort of mentioned that the, the situation going on in Okinawa where the Vulcan Defense Force is attacking the city and incorporates other members of, uh, of the Romulans like, uh, Elnor. Here with his with his partner that's uh, that's running with him at the time, but really interestingly, they they lay out quite a lot of the story of what's going on in this universe. They um, what they're doing as terrorists in the city is blowing up five um, skyscrapers, which represent the five planets that have been destroyed by the Confederation or have been uh, taken over by the Confederation. So um, they mentioned that there was. The, that Cardassia's gone, Andoria's gone, Vulcan's gone, Kronos, which is uh, the Klingon homeworld, is gone, and Romulus. All of those planets are gone. So that's why they've blown up the five of them. Uh, just after she explains that, unfortunately, she's also taken out. Um, but Elnor is saved by Rafi. So um, Rafi very quickly slots into this. I wonder, if has Rafi been in a parallel universe before? Because she very quickly slots into her role as the chief of security, uh, taking well, control, not not confused at all about the situation. It's like, okay, I've got Elnor. Um, we need to take him back to Hell headquarters and move along. Yeah, I think she gets the situation really quickly. Uh-huh. And, and I guess that's the, her tactical nature of yeah. her role. So she... She like she processes it really quickly, so I love that. I yep. really like that she processes it. I mean, she takes out four of the um, the other Confederation soldiers because they're they're about to shoot to kill. Ultimately, mm-hmm. shoot on spot. So, um, but then she she's you know quick witted and, and says, "I need this this Romulan captured." Yep. And again, I find that with um, Picard as well. You know that's really um very quick on the mark and that's kind of what you i i guess you would expect from being tactical yeah. and a strategist as a captain of a, a starship Absolutely. or and as was, their yeah. lead security exactly um, and rafi was his number one for uh, for a yeah. number of years i think it's about, about eight years wasn't it uh, yeah. we, we found out in season one so they, they'd worked together a very long time so she should be a person that can think on her feet uh, really yeah. quickly. So I like that. Uh, also, some uh, fun moments with Elnor. One of my favorite lines from him is when uh, when Picard is explaining the whole situation with Q, and he goes, "Oh, I know that name. Uh, that was in your autobiography, which I read." You know, where he's kind of hero worshiping Picard. <laughs> I thought that was yeah. uh, that was good fun. That was really good. Um, and then a 
I thought a fantastic fight with uh, with Elnor and the security team when um, when Raffi sent off to uh, to allow them to to um, break the shields to get the transport uh, transporters working to take them all out and Raffi's effectively sends Elnor in to be kicked around by the security team um, as as a Romulan and they're punishing him because uh, of the um, hatred of Romulans of the of the Confederation um, but he takes it all and but the minute that Raffi says. They're yours now, Elnor. Uh, we get our Elnor back as he's uh, as he takes out the security team left, right, and center, and kills them all. Yeah, as well. <laughs> loved it. Loved this action. Like slices a guy's throat. Yeah, yeah. Goes. Like I was, and like and goes, what you you said I could. Yep. Like yeah. <laughs> very much is like. Picard told me to improvise. He, yeah. he goes full on quat malas. Yeah, I, I guess he certainly does. He certainly uh, does. But I, yeah, I thought this was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, really good. And unfortunately, um, I guess the episode ends with them all being transported out onto the La Serena, and um, Elnor takes the the brunt yeah, of the I shot know. from uh, from uh, President Annika's uh, husband, um, who shoots immediately when he comes on board, and Elnor drops to the ground. So, um, will we see, like with the death of Hugh in season one, the innocent character taken out? Um, I hope not. At, at the start of episode three, I guess. I um, really hope not. I hope yeah. he survives for sure. Um, yeah. I really like Elnor. Um, I really do. So, as well, yeah. but he's he's injured. He is shot, but it seems like it's in the chest, mm-hmm. which is pretty dangerous for his health. Absolutely. I guess. <laughs> but he, <laughs> he he is alive. You yeah. know. Yes. Yeah. No. Agreed. I I I really enjoyed. These two characters, I obsessly just like um, Eleanor, mm-hmm. um, and that fight was just kind of visceral. Yeah, because yeah. it was just the you were like, oh, okay, they're being a bit more to that point. Up until that point, I should say, I was like, oh, they're being a bit more. I want to say cable TV, where it's a bit more kind of reserved. Okay, I it just like it didn't look like the the punches were being as impactful, like the up. And then he just like goes full. I don't know. I, I don't know how to describe it. He Hot just black. basically, yeah, there. He just cuts everything down mm-hmm. and it's with ease. And you're like, oh, 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 yeah, cool. Yeah, right. This, they're, they're very much planting their flag again in this is a older, more mature Star Trek again in yes. that. Like yeah. what we got similar to last season, which was it was like, okay, here's your Star Trek. Okay, the Star Trek has evolved. Mm-hmm. This is the your your sister daddy's Star Trek kind of thing. Absolutely, like yes. the target audience for this is people that would have watched uh, the Next Generation when it came out first exactly. and, are, and have now grown uh, and, and evolved with it effectively. Yes. So and um, like guy violence, uh, but it is great to see. Uh, at least at that moment uh, with Elnor, it is great to see that he is uh, he still has all of those skills because you start to feel a little bit sorry for him. You know, that the moments with Rafi all the way up to them, whenever she's interacting with anybody out, did you notice that she effectively shuts him down from speaking? Because um, if he speaks, he's going to have to tell the entire truth, the absolute candor. It's part of his entire, uh, his entire personality. So if anybody asks him who he is, he'll tell them exactly who he is, that he has no idea why he's here, um, and they will either arrest him or kill him. So uh, all the way through, Rafi's been shutting him down and stopping him talking in case he gets them into trouble. But here and here, he's thrown to the floor before he uh, turns on them. He's thrown to the floor and kicked around by the security team. So I was feeling very sorry for him. And then at the end, uh, yeah, getting shot uh, as the as the first target of the arriving security team. Um, yeah. 
before our cliffhanger of the week, where I guess the plan has been stopped because everybody's gotten out. Everybody's aboard La Serena. The Borg Queen is being hooked up to uh, to the ship. Well, that's it. The only thing is the one person who's not um, at the end of the first husband's uh, phaser <laughs> and his two security team is, is Dr. Jurassic and the Borg Queen. So yes. whether something to save them could come from that direction, who knows? Hmm. I had the other Rios's, the holographic Rios's. We haven't seen them turned on in this universe. Yeah, yeah, they may not may not exist in this universe. Yeah, um, they may. Yeah. I think that's good. But like the Borg Queen turns them on, that's her. Yeah. So there could be some way, some ways out, I guess. Um, very quickly, the uh, Elnor's girlfriend. Can you imagine being the actress who got that part? Oh look! Uh, it's just like, <laughs> oh, oh my god! I've got like Elnor's love interest. Uh-huh. Oh my god! This is gonna be fantastic. Nope. <laughs> That's it. You're done. Nope. Sorry. Yeah, love it. It was just like I saw that and I was like, oh, poor, poor, poor actress. I know. Yeah, I know. We uh, hadn't seen her before. She wasn't in the first season as like someone he was running with. I didn't see her. I don't recognize her. So I was just like. I don't think so. No, Elner was kind of on his own with the yeah. um, with yeah. Quatmalot uh, in training. So unless she was another member of the Quatmalot, um, yeah, no, but, ex- we, but they were all dressed in their full uh, their full um, garb. Uh, yeah, their full outfits. Yes, so, um, yeah, we didn't see any of them. Yes, the 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 bitter sting of a phaser, uh, mm-hmm. I guess. But uh, that's the prime directives. Mm-hmm. Um, any anything else? Any. Easter eggs or any other points uh, that you briefly want to mention? Yeah, yeah, got uh, got two quick ones. Um, one was why did they have to tease us with this? There's a moment where uh, the moment where Annika is about to call out to uh, Rios to uh, reacquaint herself, and the recommended Starfleet officer that she's told to reach out to is General Cisco. Um, but no, she goes, no, no, I don't want to talk to him. I want to talk to Rios. Now, I love Cristobal Rios. He's a great character. But I would like to have seen Cisco back uh, in that Star That would have been Trek good. But he, he's not Starfleet. It's Confederation. It is so the Confederation. It would be right. evil Cisco, which we have seen. We have, yes. Uh, which would have been brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. As I said, three or four episodes of, of the Mirror Universe on, uh, on DS9. So I think we've definitely seen a bit of, uh, of that version of uh, Cisco. Yeah, I do think we'll get a few cameos. We got cameos in season one. Mm-hmm. I think we'll get cameos in season two. Yes, I think, I think so. And they, they, now that they've name-dropped it, I'm hoping Will we, see we get Cisco? one. Yeah, be because sad. I'm also assuming the, the Ferengi skull we saw at the beginning could be Quark. It could be, yes. It yeah. could be poor Quark. Yeah. So effectively, he went to DS9, killed Guldukat, took out Quark, and then left. Uh, yeah. so it's what happened with General Picard. Yeah, mine is, we know... Uh, Picard's favorite uh, drink is an Earl Grey hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here we have Harvey, his valet, uh, bringing him his morning drink, which is a Colombian roast black, mm-hmm. uh, which Picard obviously really doesn't like coffee. Um, doesn't. And, you know, so it's, uh, yes, a nice little uh, moment here because yeah. we did have Earl Grey coals um, in last uh, in the last episode, mm-hmm. uh, Laris uh, giving him a, a Picard his coals uh, cup of Earl Grey because he's been faffing around for so long. Exactly. You say that Picard doesn't like it. His exact response is, uh, oh, this, re- this truly is the circle that Dante forgot. So another <laughs> circle of hell. Uh, and and we, we do, again, know as Star Trek fans, um, 
who is it that drinks uh, black coffee? It is Captain Janeway's um, favorite drink. So uh, I don't think Janeway and Picard uh, would have uh, would have breakfast together <laughs> if she if, she, uh, if that's his reaction to a cup of coffee. Well, hopefully they <laughs> get on and that that isn't a sticking point in their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Well, have- for me, this actually makes Picard. I like myself like Picard more. I think I could sit down with Picard and have a coffee. This Picard. I don't know about the Earl Grey. I, I mm. never like, I'm not a yeah. tea man. Yeah. This is, I'm a coffee man. Colombian roast dark. Oh, yeah. He's not forcing anyone to also have Earl Grey hot. It, it's just, so you could still have your Colombian roast um, for sure. Well, we don't know that. We, <laughs> like, there could be another universe where there is a dictator <laughs> called Picard who. He, the, the directive that goes out across the confederation has, yes has outlawed is, all other hot beverages you know what Bar- <laughs> hot you know what i do think general jean-luc picard would be the kind of person that would uh, would only make people drink coffee uh, in his yes. household did yes. you see like i know i know he has slaves of the romulans in the house but did you see the indication that they're slaves and not uh, general workers is he hasn't allowed them to get their traditional Romulan haircut. Um, so yeah. uh, so all of them have messy hair uh, in the house. So yeah. that's, uh, and they look so much that's better. how horrible he is. Rather than the uh, kind of bold. Bold cut. <laughs> well, there you go. That's kind of the notes for the episode. I'm sure there would be loads more if we had time to be able to go through that room. Uh, particularly the trophy Definitely. room. Definitely. I'd say, I'd say there'd be loads more from there as well. But, uh, but some, some really interesting uh, touches in this episode. And hopefully we'll see more in 2024. Definitely. If they get to leave, of course. <laughs> of course. But let us get to the 10 Forward pub quiz, fellow quizzes and mm-hmm. fellow Trekkies. Uh, because, yes, I, I guess we're, you can start off with a Colombian roast black, maybe with a bit of Irish whiskey in there. So it's an Irish coffee uh, for this week's quiz question. Irish Colombian coffee, or maybe nine shots before you start. Or nine quiz. shots, yes. We could, <laughs> no, seven shots. Seven, seven shots, shots. Not yes. seven of nine shots. Nine though. shots would be, well, you'll be slurring your answer uh, to the pub quiz questions if you have uh, nine shots. Mm-hmm. But seven shots as well, yes. You could have a quick seven shots just to limber yourself up wow. and, and get the, the brain going. It might make you quite loose. Will you remember what the answer to the question is? John, do you oh, want to give them the question yes. for this week's pub quiz? What is the name of Dr. Jurati's virtual companion cat? Mm, very close to spoiling this earlier on when, uh, when yes. you said that Patton Oswald was, uh, was the voice of the virtual companion cat. For but, sure. Uh, not yeah. going to spoil it. <laughs> John, do you want to give the question one more time? Yeah. What is the name of Dr. Jurati's virtual companion cat? Please send in your answers to feedback at TV Podcast Industries. Just... Uh, highlight that it is for the pub quiz Mm -hmm. and which question you can send them in one by one or you could just batch send them all in uh, once we've asked all the questions at towards our final episode yep. of this season of Picard. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, send them into feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com and the same place where you can send any feedback for Star Trek Picard. You can email us uh, to that address with any thoughts uh, and at the end of the season we will pick out a winner of some Star Trek Picard goodies. Yes. Um, and on feedback, you can also join us over on our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash TV podcast industries. Again, we are recording ahead of time. So please send in your feedback, thoughts, theories, Easter eggs, you name it, uh, to uh, the Facebook group or through email. Also, if you want to hear your voice on the podcast, you can record a clip of yourself uh 
on your phone and email it to us or go over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com and record up to 90 seconds of your thoughts. Just go to the right-hand tab of the website. Absolutely. Let's pop on over to some feedback on last week's episode. Thanks, Derek, for the past. Yes, it's a feedback for episode one of Star Trek Picard, the Stargazer. Uh, I'm here on my own. Uh, Chris and John aren't here for this, uh, this section of the podcast, uh, but I did want to hear your thoughts. I wanted to talk about your thoughts uh, on the episode from last week. First up over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash TV podcast industries. We have Victor Von Doom who says, what is up with the opening song in episode one? Did the Rolling Stones want too much for their version? That's an interesting one, Victor. Yeah, the, the song Time is on my side. Yeah, a very well-known Rolling Stones song. But this version that's in the episode is from Irma Thomas and was released a couple of years before the Rolling Stones um, cover version of the song. I don't know whether Irma Thomas's was the original original because I think uh, it was written a couple of years before that as well. But uh, it's an interesting different version of it, I thought, and worked quite well for Laris and for Picard to be listening to it in the chateau as everything is wrapping up for the season again. I thought that was a, an interesting start for it. Thanks, Victor. Also over on Facebook, Heather Wallace says, This was such a great treat on a difficult day, getting to see the first episode and then listening to your podcast. Great insights as always, gentlemen, and thank you for pointing out the things I'd missed, like the Emmet holograms being merged. By the end scene, I had yesterday's Enterprise vibes from the militaristic overtones of Picard's uniform, badge, and painting. Guinan was the one who sensed things were wrong in that timeline, so will she have similar advice now? So good to have John Delancey back as Q. He seems much more threatening now that he's older. It suits him. Interesting exploration of Picard's romantic life. It's not been officially confirmed if he and Dr. Crusher married and then divorced. The future from all good things where that happened was changed by the end of that episode. He had a serious relationship with a member of the crew, Nella Darren, in the episode Lessons, but it ended because he couldn't be objective about putting her in danger and it was limiting her career. About 10 years ago, I had the great pleasure of having dinner with the actress who played that role, Wendy Hughes. She had a successful career in Australia and the UK and said that her role in Star Trek The Next Generation was one of her favourite parts because she was the one who got Jean-Luc Picard to commit, even briefly. She enjoyed the kissing scenes of Patrick Stewart too, and who can blame her? <laughs> Absolutely, Heather. That's really, really interesting insight. Um, yeah, I, I think we t we did talk about why they didn't mention Beverly Crusher um, and and the fact that they'd been married and divorced. There was the tie-in novel, I think, just before the first season of Star Trek Picard was released, and there is a mention of Beverly uh, Crusher in there, but she's only mentioned in, in passing, nothing about their actual relationship or whether it's been confirmed or not. So a uh, really interesting thought there about Nella Darren. Um who was included in one episode of Star Trek, of Star Trek The Next Generation. So, uh, that's, that's a really interesting story. Thanks for that. So he has had loves in the past, but never a serious love that he could pursue forever, I suppose, is, is the point. So very interesting. Thanks so much, Heather. I hope you're enjoying the podcast as well. And I hope you enjoyed episode two. We also got some thoughts in from Dr. Bob Phillips, who says, wonderful podcast as always. Well, there's nothing like an opening on a cliffhanger at the end of the hero existence. The quiet declaration of love and the inability of Picard to accept it was utterly heartbreaking and just perfectly in line with Picard of previous years. Enjoying the openings, mostly exploring the failings of the intimate relationships of our key company. Might be a bit heavy handed with the barkeep and would be great in Guinan's return, but it feels like season two will be exploring trust and connection love in all its ways hawking radiation have we heard that before i'm not sure if we've heard that before dr bob um that's interesting yeah i wonder if it's if it's the first time mentioning or have we had that in the show before uh fellow trekkies and trekkers let us know if that's been mentioned before in the show 
Dr. Bob says, best Jurati line has to be, the fabric of space-time rending does not show stability. (laughs) Very good, very good. Dr. Bob says, the new Borg ship is beautiful, but the Borg Queen looking like Doctor Who flux passenger before they put their makeup on is a bit odd. And the Q getting older switch was superb. I also wanted a bit more from this episode, but we'll have to wait patiently. I wonder if the alternate timeline is going to be one where the car did manage to get the evacuation of Romulus to happen, but with lots of negativity flowing out of it. I think Harvey the Android mentioned something about transportation logs. Ooh, interesting thoughts, Dr. Bob. I know a lot of your questions there will have been answered in this episode. They're not slowing down on giving answers to the kind of questions we have um, very much kicking off in this episode. So, um, yeah, this Picard is a very different Picard. And uh, I don't think the evacuation of Romulus was happening uh, in this episode. It looks like um, it may have been the execution of uh, everybody on Romulus. And finally on Facebook, Dan Lee says that Picard over the calm gave me goosebumps. Excellent first episode. Can't fault it. Glad you enjoyed it as much as we did, Dan. I hope you enjoyed episode two as well. Victor Sellers sent us an email into feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. He says, greetings, Trekkies. I enjoyed the new season opening. I might like working at Chateau Picard. Pinot Noir is one of my faves. Laris looks younger than season one. I think JL should have acted on her advances, but where would the series go? Sitcom? Probably not. <laughs> Agnes a drunk? I can't get behind that. Maybe the breakup with Rios is the cause. Seven should take better care of La Serena. I guess this is Q's way of making Picard cure everything up to the last Borg engagement? I think something in his childhood may have a bearing on this season. The many references to a journey inward are very interesting and I hope to see more. Nice to chat with you all again. Looking forward to more. Peace and love, Victor Von Doom. Thanks, Victor. Yeah, I guess the uh, the son at Chateau Picard seems to have, uh, have de-aged Laris a bit. <laughs> she does look uh, younger this season as well. But yeah, I think the entire season is going to explore that uh, concept of the relationship, at least. As we can see in episode two, Laris isn't here for this episode. Um, so perhaps he'll be coming back and meeting her towards the end of the season. As for Agnes, I think she kind of explains how badly her life seems to have gone especially in relationships so um so i think she's just having a few too many drinks uh and at the bar i'm not too sure whether she's a drunk <laughs> thanks so much victor hopefully I hear from you again after this episode and we have one final piece of feedback in our feedback section matt murdoch is back with his thoughts on the newly restructured picard theme tune from composer jeff russo take it away matt hello derek john and chris matt here First of all, thanks to you guys for continuing to cover Picard. As you guys know, I do podcasts too, but I could never cover the Star Trek franchise. It's something that is a little bit too personal for me. But I really enjoyed your review of the premiere episode. And of course, you know that the thing that stuck out to me was the fact that Jeff Rousseau, who is basically composing, I guess, for just about the entirety of the Star Trek franchise, on Paramount Plus or Amazon or however you're getting it, how he changed up the theme. The main motifs are still there. The melody is still there. But I think as you guys pointed out in your excellent podcast covering the premiere, everything was a lot darker. And I thought I'd take a minute to explain how that was achieved. First off, let's just take a look at what those two main kind of motives or melodies in the theme itself are that is in common between season one and season two. First, you have this, what I just call a motif, a little snippet of music that gets repeated 
throughout the course of the theme. This. And then you have a prominent kind of melody as well, like this. But there are, of course, remarkable differences in the way that these little pieces of music are harmonized, the rhythm of the accompaniment, and the timbres, the instruments that are used. For instance, in season one, that first motif that I played is harmonized quite simply between just two chords, and it's played with a flute-like sound. And it gives us this sense of sweetness, or at most, a bitter sweetness. Yet, at the beginning of Season 2, we hear that same motive being harmonized with much more harsh instrumentation, like brass. There is a rhythm that is going underneath it as well, that is subdividing things twice as fast as what I just played. As opposed to this... You're going to get this. Now, the tempos are different, so it doesn't quite feel like the second one is twice as fast as the first. But there are twice as many subdivisions. And anytime you increase the number of notes in between beats, I can guarantee you increase the heart rate of the person listening to it. And of course, the most striking thing about what Rousseau did with this motif is the harmonization. When you couple it with that rhythm, it becomes huge, it becomes epic, and it becomes very dissonant and very tense as opposed to kind of harmonically beautiful. Now it becomes something that is very dangerous. The real key is in what harmonies are used, specifically in that string line that moves, a dominant harmony is implied. You don't need to know that term, but what a dominant harmony does is it feels like it needs to move somewhere, yet he makes this the center of the key to where it can't really move anywhere. And what creates the tension is the two top notes. The bottom note makes us feel grounded, but the other two notes, the way they interact together, makes us feel uncomfortable. These two notes. That's called a tritone. And while the name isn't important, what you need to know is that within any octave of notes, there are 12 semitones. And those two particular notes are exactly six apart. One of the things that Pythagoras found, yeah, that same guy who made up rules about triangles, also applied mathematics to music back then, he discovered that we don't like symmetry in our harmony. If you divide our harmony by two or by four, all of a sudden we are going crazy. We don't like it. It feels like it needs to resolve somewhere. And the fact that Rousseau grounds this as the home key means there's no resolution. Hence tension. 
And of course, there's all kinds of harmonic dissonance in this thing. He's playing chords that don't fit with the melody really technically in any kind of key. And that helps create tension as well. And whoa, wait a minute. I'm looking at the timer and I've only discussed one thing and I've already gone way over the amount of time that I usually give myself for these. So I will come back next week and discuss the other half, the main melody part and how it's different next time. Thanks for covering the show, guys. I'm really enjoying it so far. Take care. Oh, Matt Meredith, thank you so much for your thoughts. That's fantastic. Big round of applause uh, on my own here, but a big round of applause from me to you for that. Uh, It's really interesting. Yeah, thank you um, for enjoying our coverage of Star Trek Picard. I think the same reason why we've never done Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the reason why you're not covering Star Trek. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., my favorite character is Nick Fury. It's the one show that I that we never covered on our podcast, even though we've been going for eight years now uh, as a podcast and could easily have fitted in at some point. But it's because I'm a massive fan. It's very difficult to get around your massive fandom when you're doing podcasts about shows. But we enjoyed season one of Picard. I had thoughts about whether to cover season two, uh, depending on on, uh, on scheduling, but I'm really glad we are. Two episodes into the show, really, really enjoying, and I hope you are too. Uh, and I love your analysis there. It's really interesting when I, when I think back to what I said on episode one about the theme. The only mention I made of it really was that... Um, it had ruined it for me because I really loved that first theme tune of the first series, but I did say it was a theme. So of course you're going to change the motifs that are in there. You're going to change what it is for season two, setting you up to have a different experience for the second season. And you're absolutely right. That is the intention of the tune. Jeff Russo has done exactly the right thing for it. It's just, uh, I guess I'll go to Spotify and play the th- season one theme tune and enjoy this one connected to the themes of this darker second season. Thanks so much, Matt. And thanks so much, everybody else, for your thoughts about the show. We do want to keep hearing from you about your thoughts on Picard or any of the shows we cover. Please email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com with your thoughts. You can email us an MP3 if you want to hear your voice in the podcast, or you can pop over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com where you can record up to 90 seconds of your thoughts on any of the episodes, and it will automatically email it to us. You can also join us on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash TV podcast industries. We'd love to see you over there. And now, without the use of a board queen, I'll send you back into the past for John, myself, and Chris to close out the episode. Well, fellow Trekkies, thank you so much for all your thoughts. And of course, uh, thank you for joining us as always. We mm-hmm. hope you stay subscribed to the podcast over at tvpodcastindustries.com. You can join us on any good or evil podcast catcher of your choice. Or should I say, Starfleet or Confederation mm-hmm. uh, podcast catcher of your choice. And um, please share the podcast to share the love. Subscribe or leave a review. Any support that you do is very, very much appreciated. You can also head on over to patreon.com forward slash TV podcast industries to send on some Starfleet credits mm. uh, for uh, the podcast. Uh, you can also go over to um, buymeacoffee.com forward slash TVPI mm-hmm. for a one off payment as well to support us as well. Maybe it will be a Colombian roast black for, for the editor. It, that, I do like uh, a, nice, a nice black coffee, I must say. Um, well, 
A coffee with milk, actually. <laughs> yeah, I was going to well, say. I'll get my own milk. I'll get my own milk. <laughs> we will be back next week with Star Trek Picard, Season 2, Episode 3, Assimilation. And we'd love to hear your feedback on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Yes, we're also covering The Boys Diabolical, which is a slightly different show Just with some bit. slightly different uh, themes. <laughs> but if you're interested in that, make sure you head on over to our main channels where you can find the links galore to our musings on that slightly, yes, not even slightly, on that <laughs> crazy, Absolutely crazy show. show. Yeah, yes. I, I know we mentioned earlier on that Star Trek Picard is, is definitely an adult version of Star Trek for adults. I'm going, how do you describe the boys animated show then? Who's that, <laughs> who's that targeted at? It's, it um, is our mirror universe of podcasts, yes. I guess, compared to yeah. Picard, for sure. Yes. And all it of is, our Marvel is, shows, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is the Looney Tunes on acid. Yes. Essentially. <laughs> or crank. You name it. You pick your LSD drug of choice and just inject it into your Looney Tunes uh, cartoon veins. The TV podcast industry does not recommend anybody inject any form <laughs> no, exactly. into their veins at all. Yes. Well, thanks no. so much for joining us. Talk to you again next time. Bye-bye. Yes, thanks for joining us again, fellow Trekkies. Uh, remember, keep watching, keep listening, and keep trekking. Bye. Bye.